This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So, I'm glad you're here. Just for fun, let's see where some of you are from. Let's see, anybody from Washington State here? Oh, wow, great. One, two, three, four of you. Anybody uh, from California here? All right, good. Uh, Anybody um, east of the Cascades? Mm, Okay, good. All right. Are you from Michigan? All right, good. I'm from Michigan, too. So Elder Ross Naiman is here. He's our ministerial director, and he's uh, sitting right up here, and he's promised to help me with this. So we are, uh, he may just jump in here at any time. He has permission to do that. And I want to conduct this class, and it's going to be a little bit awkward because if you ask questions and use the microphone, uh, you and I are then on the same frequency. I don't guess that'll be too much of a problem, but I really want to make this more of a class and not uh, just a a lecture uh, kind of a thing. I do have some slides here. They were looking for a clicker for me, and I don't have that yet. I may pull this down here so I can can get up there. I think I want to do that, Royce, and see if we can just pull this down here. All right. And just maybe you sit on the corner there. I can get to it and change it because I don't have a clicker yet. They're going to try to find one. All right. Yeah, good. Go ahead and shut those uh, doors and yeah, you can keep one of them open. Sure, that's fine. All right. Um, how many of you have a church manual? Let me see your hands. No, I just want you to know if you have one at home. just want to know if you have one, if you own one. All right. Um, actually, the church manual behind the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy is the most important document that we have in the church. And there's a big reason for that, and that is because it what, it's what guides the church and keeps the peace in the church. And I think the devil hates the church manual almost as much as he hates the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. That's quite a statement, isn't it? All right, let's bow our heads and we're going to get started. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, and we pray that you will be our helper and our teacher, that we'll be able to come out of here with the right kinds of concepts, the needs to be able to minister more effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, authority is an ugly word in our world today. Am I right? People don't like authority, and that's because authority has been abused and uh, misused in a sinful world, and many times that that happens. Okay, he's uh, fixing me up there. If you, um, if you go to the, uh, and, and you don't have this, so I've got stuff up on the screen for you. I don't have the whole church manual up there, obviously, because we wouldn't have time to cover the entire church manual. But the first part of the church manual starts out and asks a question, why a church manual? One of the big debates in the early Adventist church was whether we should have organization. Why do you think that people in the early Adventist church did not want organization? In fact, they resisted it for, oh, you got one. Bless you. All right. Terrific. Let's see if this has a pointer. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So we just stay with this? All right. The right moves me ahead. Yeah, good. Hey, you guys are going beyond the call of duty. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Um, so why, why, do we ha- why do we need a church manual? And why, were some, why was there so much resistance in the early church against a church manual? Why? Anybody want to take a yes? Yes, Ron. Yeah, that, I think that uh, did serve out. The other thing is, yes, Right. Which is pretty much what he was saying. But I, but I think there was a very strong resistance to creedalism uh, in, in the sense of humanly crafted uh, guidelines. Yeah, uh, and that's a good point. I was looking for that microphone. Did you put that back? Is that up here, back there? Because the, the way I'm going to conduct this class is not have a question and answer at the end of it, but try to get some comments and maybe your questions as we go along. So it'll, And it's nice we have a little smaller group, so it makes it a lot easier. If the whole room were full... It would be very, very difficult to do that. All right, we're on the same frequency right here. Yeah, if you need to switch, you have to turn yours off. Oh. 
Okay, so I can't have them both on at the same time? Oh, okay. All right. Well, this is going to be interesting. We'll see what we can do with this, though. Okay, let's... Um, uh, another reason that they did not want to do that is that many of them have been kicked out of their churches uh, over the coming of Christ, 1844, all of that kind of thing. They had just been really abused by church authority. And because of that, they, they were very reluctant. They didn't want to look like Babylon. As far as they were concerned, you take the Roman Catholic Church. Is the Roman Catholic Church organized to a T? Now, it's a different system. I'll talk about the different systems of organization, why we have the organization we have. In fact, I, I find there's a great deal of ignorance today about why Seventh-day Adventists have an organization. We'll get into that a little bit more. But the, there was a big resistance to it. So let me just share a few uh, a few things here on why we have a church manual and, and why it's, it's, uh, it's important. Um, uh, first of all, God is a God of order. Anybody think of a text that, uh, on that one? Yeah, he, he, that's right. He's not the author of confusion, but he's the author of order. Now, let me ask you a question. Why, why does a person die? Okay. Yes, result of sin and death, that's true. That's, it's not a bad answer, but it's not the answer I'm really looking for. In light of just what I've just talked about. Disorder. It's disorder. When the body, and Paul uses this same kind of thing, when the body becomes disorganized, then what is the result? It's death. So you might say in another sense that organization is life. In other words, the universe has life in it because the universe is organized. And so God's, uh, anything that, that's going to have any kind of life to it is going to have to have organization to it uh, at some point. But uh, organization can be abused. Can it be abused in the Adventist church? And the answer is yes. We'll talk about some of those uh, abuses and, and what do we do about when we see some of those kinds of abuses with organization. And yet to dispense with it is to what? is to die. And the mission dies, and everything dies. It's just like your car. I was driving the Upper Peninsula several years ago, and we, uh, I had a Buick and, uh, that we had inherited, and a really nice little car, I really liked it. And all of a sudden, somewhere 15 or 20 miles from St. Ignace and the Big Bridge. Anybody been to Michigan and the Big Bridge? Some of us know about the Mighty Mac. Um, at any rate, the thing just quit. Just no sign of trouble, no warning, just quit. And I thought, well, this is strange. So I finally had it towed in. found that it actually broken a camshaft um, and just done, done. That's what happens if, uh, and, and so there's no more movement. Same thing with an organization or uh, if you have a mission. If you don't have organization, you're going to have... Uh, you're going, to, you're going to die. That's just the bottom line. Order in one sense is life. Okay, uh, it is achieved. This is a quote now from the church manual. That, um, it is achieved through principles and regulations. What are principles and regulations? The rules by which we guide ourselves and live by. Am I right? One rule is if you want healthy teeth, you, you brush your teeth. If you want really healthy teeth, you... You floss them. Is that a rule or a principle? Yeah, I think it is. It's a principle of hygiene. The application is the toothbrush and the dental floss. Um, so the, the church is the same way. It's achieved through principles and regulations that guide the church. This is, when it uses the word church in the church manual, the big C, it's talking about the church in its big sense. It's not talking about your local individual church, although it would be true for that. It's talking about your church and the church in the big sense. It's achieved through principles and regulations that guide the church in its internal operations and in the fulfillment of its mission to the world. It needs order, rule, and discipline. And that's why eventually we got a church manual. Let's... Um, Let's see here what, uh, in 1875, a little quick history here. In 1875, Ellen White pointed out, and this, this church of God is in constant peril.
peril. And we might ask why. Satan is seeking to destroy the people of God. Well, we know that. And one man's mind, oh, and one man's judgment is not sufficient to be trusted. By the way, who was the most important mind about that time? Well, this is 1875. James White is dead at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether, uh, who the person is, but there were, there were three people, basically, that were running the Adventist church. And she said, this is a consolidation of power, and the, and the testimonies kept getting more stringent, and that this has to be changed. So you can't just have one person, um, it's judgment. It's not sufficient to be, what's the word? Trusted. Anybody want to give me an example of that in modern times with another Sabbath-keeping church? Yeah, the Worldwide Church of God was basically a one-man ruled thing. He died. The person that took his place went into apostasy over the Sabbath, and the whole thing imploded. You think the devil would like to do that with the Adventist church? He hates his church. He would do anything to destroy this church that he possibly could. Um, then it goes, she goes on. It's not, Christ would have his followers brought together in church capacity. How are we to be brought together? Observing order. You know, there are just some free spirits today that say, oh, man, let's just get together. I mean, we, Jesus is all we need. Let's just get together and have a, have a, you know. But you really can't function in fellowship that way. How many of you had Christmas gatherings at your homes? Some of you and most of us probably did. Let me ask you a question. Was there any organization that went into that? If you didn't think so, you know, it wasn't like we got in when our kids showed up. We, we said, oh, you know, uh, I just want you to know all the organization. That went on. No, everybody had a wonderful time. But you asked my wife who put together Christmas brunch for my, our kids who came in. There was a lot of organization to that. And I was her helper, kind of. <laughs> Honey, is there anything you need me to do? Well, you could do this. Little, a few things. Well, there's organization that goes into any kind of fellowship. You want good fellowship for your, your Thanksgiving events, your family events. You have to have organization to make it successful, even though you may not call it that sometimes. So if we're going to come together in fellowship, uh, in church capacity, God wants us to do that. He wants us to observe order, having rules. Ooh, I know that's a dirty word today. People say, I don't want any rules. I'd like to challenge people. Can you live without rules in your life? Some people think they can, and they make a mess of their life if they do that. What's that? Yeah, some people think they are the rule. That's the problem. And then they can't make up their mind which they are about themselves. And so they're kind of confused mess. Yes, Levi. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this, see if this works. Okay. If there's no rules, uh, then there is going to be no law. And if there's no law, there is no organized uh, obedience. And if there's no obedience, then it's over. Yeah, it's, uh, it goes away, doesn't it? All right, let's, uh, let's just go right back here. Having rules and discipline and all subject to one another. Now, there's the other part. There is a tension in Christian organization that is unique. And we're going to talk about in a little bit about the authority of the church. But this authority is held in a different way than the world does it. Jesus looked at his own disciples who were constantly jockeying for position, and he said to them, you don't get it. Now, these are my words. He says, you don't get it. He says, that's the way the Gentiles do it. They have their, their big men. They have the big chief. And then everybody else bows down. He says, you don't understand. That's not the way it is in, in God's organization. In God's organization, we are all servants. Wow. And the, yeah, the greatest leader will be the greatest servant. Do you know why Jesus will be the most exalted being in the universe? Is because he became the greatest servant. 
So there's this tension. So sometimes we can read this first part about having rules, order, and discipline and forget the second part is just as important, all subject to one another, esteeming others better than themselves. There is the two points. I have a, have a friend, Dr. Leroy Moore. Anybody know who Dr. Leroy Moore is? If you haven't read his books, you're, he was at our camp meeting. He held a class on the power of humility and probably had more influence in our camp meeting. We had a lot of wonderful things going on there than anything else. He's also got a book out called The Culture Wars, and he has two guys with boxing gloves on the front cover. And if you haven't read that, you've missed something. In that particular book, he talks about truth being elliptical and not just a center circle. In other words, uh, some people think that truth is just a circle with one dot in the middle of it. And he says usually, most of the time, uh, it is an elliptical circle like this, and it has two dots that are held in tension. You know, I'll give you uh, an example right out of life, marriage. Are men like women? Are women like men? But even though they're, they're different in many ways, it is that cooperation, that held intention that makes the home a wonderful place that it is. Understand what I mean by that? Yeah. But there's a, there's a, it's like law and grace. You can't do away with law and you can't do away with grace. It's not 50% of one or 50% of the other. It's the way they work together in order to affect our salvation. Can't do without one or the other. So this is one of those things where you have that tension, where you have order, rules, and discipline, but then you have the other side of that point is being subject to one another, esteeming others better than themselves. And I hope you get that picture because that picture is going to come all the way through our church manual, I think, in a beautiful way. Sometimes it confuses people in the kind of position that uh, I hold and, and uh, Elder Snayman holds, who's our ministerial director, People come up to us and they just want us to fix it. You know, it's almost like some people think, some people, not everybody, uh, think that somehow we're kings. And, and if we just give the order, it will be done. And the world, the world, the church doesn't work that way. Now, we have influence. There's no question about that. All of you have influence. But uh, there are, there's processes uh, to go through. Okay, let's go on. Here's 1882. Still do, um, we still don't have a church manual in 1882. The GC session voted to prepare a set of instructions. GC session in those days was meeting every year. So I can kind of give you a little feel for things. Um, was, uh, had voted to prepare a set of instructions for church officers to be presented in the Review and Herald or in tract form, and that happened. In 1883, interestingly enough, One year later, the GC session rejected a church manual fearing it would formalize the church. Now, this is going to be interesting as to why they rejected it. Here's the quote. Formalize the church and take from its pastors their individual freedom to deal with matters of order as they desired. So tell me what's going on here. I think I I know what's going on here, but it's a process. What they're afraid of is that it will make it so that the pastors can't say or do as they feel. They can't go as their conscience dictates. Well, here's what's happening. The Adventist Church, at this point, is kind of congregational and kind of not. And we're trying. It's just like the early church. The early church did not have all of its organization put into place when it started. But as it grew in numbers and influence, then you have to add organization layers to that, or you have to add organization components to it. Same thing is happening in the early Adventist church. Organizational components are not coming together all at once. Pastors are in charge, ministers are in charge of these churches, and uh, they want to be in charge of the church, that, that church that they have. And so they're a little concerned about that it might uh, mess up their work. 1907, so we're quite a few years down the pike here, 93, 1903. We're 20, 24 years later. That's quite a bit. J.N. Loughborough published a book entitled The Church, Its Organization, Order, and Discipline. This was the forerunner of our present church manual. 
And it covered a lot of the kinds of things that we have in our church manual uh, today. 1931, well, we're still another, what, 20-some years. The GC committee finally votes a church manual. The GC committee voted to publish a church manual, J.L. McHaney? Is that the way? McElhaney. It's a good Scottish name. Uh, Later, president of the General Conference prepared the manuscript, and it was published in 1932. So in 1932, we have our first church manual, but there's a process that's been growing. The church is growing. Its institutions are growing. Overseas is growing, and they just have got to have something to guide the church. The opening sentence of that first edition is important, and here's here's the opening sentence of that first edition. It is becoming increasingly evident the word increasingly, evident that a manual on church government is needed to set forth and preserve our denominational practice and polity. Uh, Let me go to this word preserve. This is again coming from the church manual, page 18. Note the word preserve. This was no attempt to suddenly create and impose upon the church a whole pattern of church governance. Rather, it was an endeavor to first preserve all the good actions that have been taken through the years and then add rules required by the church's increasing growth and complexity. Is the Adventist Church a complex organization? You ever think about this church and what it's accomplishing and what it's doing? It's just absolutely amazing. There's no church like it on the face of the earth, organized the way that we're organized. No church like it. Now, I didn't say it didn't have warts, and I didn't say that it didn't have um, areas that it can fix, Um, but I'm telling you it's an amazing thing, really, when you look at it, and it's a big picture. Okay, let's talk about the authority of the church manual. The church manual has this function, and I'm going to go through them here. It describes the operations and the functions of local churches. Does that affect anybody in this room? All of us. So how our local church functions is important to every one of us. Now, I'm going to say this, and it may be misunderstood, but that's the way it is. One of our challenges in the Western world is our neglect of the church manual. We are... We are so honed to the fact that each one of us has individual freedom, thank God for individual freedom, that we have such independence that we chafe under the fact that there is a church manual that would actually guide the operations of a local church. And because of that, many people today laugh at the church manual Sometimes even though, uh, those of us who are ministers don't pay it much attention until we have a mess. And then we call on the church manual to deliver us. Usually you can prevent messes if we will follow the church manual. Now I'm going to get into, uh, I'll get into the nominating committee process. Have you ever heard anybody make fun of why in the world do we have an organizing committee and the organizing committee elects the nominating committee and the nominating committee then nominates the officers and then that finally comes to the church. Why do we need that organizing? I'm not going to tell you today why you need an organizing committee, but I will tell you before we're done. I saw a hand back here with a question. Because of the tape, I'm going to make sure that uh, we kind of get this on, uh, on the tape. So, Well, I was just going to say... I was in a meeting one time with some African-American pastors who they carry the church manual in their briefcase with them because they're always being called on the carpet amongst their own church members. In, in my world as a pastor, I don't get that ever. Um, my church members could care less about the church manual in general. Yeah. I could have said it better myself. Um, and and that, is, uh, that is a fundamental problem, uh, I think, in the Western world. And we need to start educating our members the value of that church manual, and they ought to hold us accountable to it. They should. They ought to hold me accountable to it and the rest of us so that we operate 
uh, in a good way. All right, let's go ahead here. Um, that, so the first thing that it does, it, it describes the operation of functional local churches, the relationship to each other. Is it important for local churches to have relationships to each other? If a man and a wife have a relationship, a marriage, there is organization to that marriage. If local church is going to have a relationship, you have to organize. You have to educate that relationship. Am I right? All right. Uh, Expresses the church's understanding of the Christian life and church governance, uh, number two. It also expresses the church's understanding of the Christian life. What is included in the Christian life? Here's another thing people don't like. They don't like a thing called church lifestyle standards. Oh, my. You want to get in a really interesting... You want to get somebody quick. I, it's amazing. When you, when you raise that issue, there are people that just... They see red. I mean, they, 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 just, they just can't understand. I want to get into some of that here... And we're going to talk about lifestyle standards and how they fit within the life of the church because the church manual does that. So these are the two areas. First, the operation of the functions, how we relate to one another. And number two, the church's understanding of Christian life, church governance, and discipline. Church, how many of you just love the subject of church discipline? I didn't think you would raise many hands that way. But let me tell you something. I'm going to get in, we're going to get into church discipline in this class. And I want to tell you that no church can survive and carry its mission without appropriate church discipline. Yeah, she just said that if we had appropriate church discipline, it would run smoother and be less negative. We'll talk about all of that, uh, and that will get very, very interesting, believe me. All right, let's go on to uh, where I'm at here. Oh, yeah, I want to finish this. It also expresses the church's understanding of Christian life and church governments and discipline based on biblical principles and the authority of a duly assembled GC sessions. We'll talk a little bit more about these assembled General conference sessions. The church manual is divided into two types of material. And now you should know this. Number one, the content of each chapter is of what kind of value? Worldwide. Worldwide. I want to underline that, that that is what makes us what we are. We are not kept together by a pope. We are not kept together by fantastic speakers. We are not kept together by marvelous, charismatic personalities. I didn't say all those didn't play a role. We are kept together as a church by principles and rules. You all got quiet. That's where it's at. We are not, we're kept together by policy. Now, I grew up in a place, um, and anybody from North Carolina here? I'm the only one in here. This is a, some, some North Carolinian will hear that. It's one of the most beautiful states in the, in the Union. Uh, but they have more Baptists down there than they have people. And, uh, and if you know anything about Baptists, you talk about independent-minded. They are very, very independent-minded. Uh, one way they have church growth, and there's a Baptist church on every corner down. I kid you not. I mean, it's a big deal. Um, And one way they they get that done is they get into a fight, and then they split, and you know know, know the rest of the story probably. The Adventist church, however, is kept together by policy. It's church manuals what keeps us together. It's what guides us and and protects our unity. Um, Let me ask you this. Is unity important? I just read that one of the ways that God's expression of his character and manifested to the world is when its church is unified. That's a fascinating statement. I can't give you that uh, right off. I just read it, though. All right, recognizing the need. Okay, uh, let me go back to number one. What's contained in that church manual? Worldwide value. The content of each chapter is of worldwide value. It applies in Africa as well as North America 
etc., and is applicable to every church organization. How many church organizations? Anybody left out there? The word ever means every. All of them. Congregation and members. So no local church, all that applies. The content of each chapter. Now, number two are notes in the back of it. This is a more recent development, and they did it for good reason in, uh, in 2000 General Conference, recognizing the need for variations in some sections. And if you go back and read the notes, you'll see what it's doing. It's not making a different set of rules. It's just saying this is the way in some different places, some nuances of differences. The need for variations in some sections, additional explanatory material, presented as guidance and example, appears as notes at the end of the church manual. That's church manual, page 18. Okay, how are changes made in the church manual? That's another way. Uh, The church manual, unlike Scripture, can be changed. And how do we change it? And we change it. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and give you that, uh, how that's done. Uh, Here it is, right out of the church manual. Still with me, everybody? Okay, I'm not boring you to death yet. This is going to get really interesting before we're done. If a local church conference or union wishes to propose a church manual revision, notice the local church is involved in that. That means a local church can propose a revision in the church manual. And I have seen local churches actually have an impact on the church manual. And it might get processed a little bit and adjusted, and you'll see how that happens. It should submit the proposal to the next constituent level. For the local church, it's the local conference, the local conference, the union, and the union goes to the general conference or division of the general conference. And uh, for uh, counsel and study, if that level approves the proposal, it submits the suggested revision to the next level for additional evaluation. If the various levels approve the proposal, it eventually comes to the GC Church Manual Committee, which considers all recommendations, if the church manual uh, committee approves its revision, prepare for presentation at annual council uh, and or the GC session. Uh, and the revision notes follows the same procedure with the exception that a GC executive kit committee, often known as annual council, can vote those changes in the notes. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of that. Uh, in North America, before the last general conference session in 2010, we had a crisis in North America on, and we still have a crisis, on the whole issue of evolution being taught in uh, higher education. And I'm not trying to get into that particular subject uh, per se, uh, but um, it, there started becoming a, an outcry, and our conference was not the only conference that did that, but our, our committees did vote and send a recommendation to the general conference asking for certain things to happen on the floor of the general conference. Uh, and... Uh, we got a nice reply back saying, no, they were not going to do that. They were going to go through another uh, process. Interestingly enough, they ended up doing what we actually asked, and I'm sure we're not the only voice in that, so I'm not trying to take credit for anything here. But they actually ended up voting a statement on the floor of the General Conference that uh, backed up our position and clarified any misunderstandings as to where we stood on a six-day literal creation of the earth. And, uh, and our position on that. Uh, it also cr- asked for higher education and so forth to, to sponsor and teach that. And it also said that they wanted to, they also took an action between that general conference and the next general conference. They're going to revise number six and they're going to make it more clear as to what we mean when we talk about creation. So there's not going to be anybody that can play games. Now, most of us thought when we read 6, we didn't have any misunderstanding about what we thought it said. But uh, some other people evidently thought that uh, it gave them license to actually introduce what uh, people would call today uh, theistic evolution. And uh, I, I, I still don't see it, but at any rate, by the time the next GC gets done, that is going to have refined. And in the meantime, we have a GC action that covers us saying this is what we believe and what we mean by this. And it, I, I knew it would be a slam dunk. I mean, I, I don't think, I couldn't see, of course, I couldn't see everything, but I, I couldn't see a half a dozen hands against it at that GC session. 
Um, it was uh, overwhelming. Some people said there were 25 people against it. Well, I, that still doesn't change anything. It's a huge uh, support of that. So you can have an impact, a local conference, a local church. If you're a member of a local church, you can have an impact if you voice the need and your local church approves it and it goes up the process. So you can have an impact on it. It's not fast. It's not quick. It's not going to change overnight. I tell people, you have to be patient in the church. Things don't just change. The way we govern the church doesn't just change uh, overnight. Okay. Uh, And this is very interesting. And it shows you how serious... They take the church manual uh, in the general conference session worldwide, even though sometimes in Western world it's not taken as serious, nearly as serious as it should be. Notice this, non-substantive editorial changes are reported to an annual council, <coughs> excuse me, which may give approval. However, if one-third of the group, now we're talking about the notes now, we're not talking about the chapters the chapters has to go to a GC session. Any change has to go to a GC session. We're just talking about the notes in the back. However, if one-third of the group determines, notice not, not even near a majority, but if you only have a third of the group determines that the recommendation substantially alters the meaning, then it goes to a GC session, even the notes. That's how serious they, they take it. Now, I want to say this, that the church manual is not designed to cover every facet of every part of church life. Uh, Every once in a while, we have people come up to us and they'll say, Elder Snayman, what do we do here? And he looks in the church manual and he says, hmm, I don't find anything to cover that. And so we give them some counsel. If that works, then they're happy and we're happy. If we can't come to a solution, then we go to the union and even to the division and ask them for some clarification and for some help. It's never meant to cover every nuance of life. In other words, you can't have a policeman. You can't keep the peace of the nation having a policeman on every corner of the street. Uh, you have to have some reasonableness and happiness and willingness to work with one another to, to figure out things that we don't necessarily cover in a church manual. All right, the church of God is the body of Christ. And this is, comes from church manual, page 22. And I, I love this statement. It's a wonderful statement because it begins to give us a big picture of what the Adventist church is to become. It is God's purpose to gather out a people from the far corners of the earth and to bind them into one body, the body of Christ. That is the destiny of the Seventh-day Adventist church. That will not be defeated. When Jesus comes... That's the kind of church he's going to take from this earth. Isn't that good news? Sometimes I hear people in the Western world, they complain about all that money we send to the General Conference. I say, you know, I'm so happy to write, we write a check to the General Conference. To the, you know, I say, we're so happy to write that check. You know why? Because I believe in this. When you give your tithe, and a portion of that tithe has an impact around the world, keeping this church together and keeping its mission going, Brothers and sisters, we ought to rejoice. In fact, I say this to people. I say, hey, isn't that what you wanted? When you go to a general conference, and now, you know, there's some complaints sometimes that the North American division, I shouldn't use a specific division, when some divisions get outvoted on whatever the issue might be, there are some complaining that say, they say, oh, you know. And I say, wait a minute. Isn't that what you wanted? Didn't we want a church from all over? Do, do, did we start this thing just so one division could control everybody else? Isn't that why we sent our missionaries at great cost and sacrifice? Isn't that why the graves dot Africa and they dot Asia of our missionaries? Sometimes we buried their little kids. A couple of years ago, I met a young, beautiful young couple. They had two little children. They just lost one little two-year-old boy in a country where malaria was horrible. And I sat there and stood there with them and hardly knew what to say when I thought about the sacrifice they had made. It really bothers me when I hear people complain about the fact that we now have a world church and the world church is in charge. It bothers me when I hear people say, well, we just ought to go our own way. What? That's contrary to Christ himself.
I testify to my brethren. Now, this is, uh, that was Church Manual, page 22. This is uh, Ellen White, Testimonies to Ministers, page 15. I testify to my brethren and sisters that the church of Christ, enfeebled and defective as it may be, I want to tell you the conference that I serve, they have an enfeebled and defective conference president. They do. I don't think that we have a church that we couldn't say that about every church that we have. And they're wonderful churches. They're marvelous churches. But, are, but we all are enfeebled and defective. Are we not? But notice this next part. It's amazing. I testify to my brothers and sisters that the church of Christ, enfeebled and defective as it may be, is the only object on earth, on which he, the Lord, bestows his, what's the next word? Supreme regard. Didn't say he didn't give regard to other things and to other institutions, but the only thing that he gives his supreme regard to is his church on earth. Don't ever, ever take the church of the living God lightly. Defective and enfeebled, though it may be. I, it's a privilege to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I, I don't think we understand the treasure that we have as Seventh-day Adventists. We just have a treasure in this church, and I praise God for it. Now, here's a warning from the same chapter. You could take that last one, and people would say, okay, whatever the church says, I salute, and I'm done. You could go down the road of Catholicism. In, in the Roman church, they do not brook any dissent. It's a totalitarian system. So there's, there's authority given to the church, but that authority is qualified by this. If in defiance, this is testimonies, Page 16 and 17, uh, no, Testimonies to Ministers, page 16 and 17, and it's also in the church manual, page 23 to 24, quoting, If in defiance of God's arrangements, the world be allowed to influence our decisions or our actions, the purpose of God is defeated. I want to stop right there and say, what is it that guards the goodness of the church? It is the commitment and understanding of its members. And if its ministers don't teach like they're supposed to, then the members will help to render the church unfaithful at some point. Still with me? However spacious, or in other words, how reasonable, however attractive or whatever it is, the pretext, if the church waver here, there is written against her in the books of heaven a betrayal of the most sacred trust and treachery to the kingdom of Christ. That's pretty strong language. Uh, If you want to read a very fascinating chapter, you want to read volume 8, uh, and I think the chapter is called Found Wanting. Shall we be found wanting? And the picture in there is that the Seventh-day Adventist church will be weighed in the balances of the sanctuary. The picture from that point deteriorates and then... It ends with hope. Aren't you glad for that? Uh, I think most people say, uh, know that Ellen White predicts a shaking in the Adventist church. My, I, and I think that that is... Uh, the prophets are never wrong, by the way. But the chapter that I'm just talking about ends with saying that there returns a spirit to the church. These are my words. You can read it for yourself. 
returns a spirit of intercessory prayer and that God returns and heals his church. Isn't that good news? So the church is going to come through. No matter what difficulties we get into, the church is going to come out of this, I believe, by the power of God. But we all have a part to play in that. So that's a, that's a, pretty, uh, a pretty strong statement, she says to the church. The church is firmly and decidedly to hold her principles before the whole heavenly universe and the kingdoms of the world. The church is firmly and decidedly to hold her principles. What are our principles? Well, they're contained in that church manual, and we're going to talk about those. I said some of you have joined us. We're going to get to talk about that as we get into the week and what that, that means by that. Okay, organization authority. Some have advanced the thought that as we near the close of time, every child of God will act independently of any religious organization. But I have been instructed by the Lord, I'm glad she's put this in there, that this work, there is no such thing as every man being independent. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, when the Lord, before the Lord comes, there's not going to be any conference. There's not. I've had people walk up to me and say, you know, you're not going to have a conference any longer. You're not going to have the churches aren't going to be there. So you're not even going to have a telephone when you get done. So how in the world are you going to stay organized? I said, well, we're going to stay organized. Well, yeah, how are you going to do that? I said, well, there's a problem that in your theory. And your theory discounts the Holy Spirit. And the last time I checked in the book of Acts, if God wanted somebody to be moved somewhere, the Holy Spirit could just pick them up and move them. Yeah, that is, that, that is the truth. Hey, listen, I don't, you know, forgive me just, just a second. The whole thing is being set up right now for the mark of the beast. And the entire, I don't think Adventists even understand what's hanging over our heads. I don't think we understand where we're headed here. And I'm not, you know, I praise God for the Constitution of the United States and for the great freedoms we are supposed to have. Um, but I, the government today is reading probably all of your emails by computer, all your phone calls. You will not make a phone call out of the country. They probably don't read or listen to. All this, these are very powerful computers, and they, they are set up. And you, even Google, ever see when, when you go on Google, it pops up on the right-hand corner. It says re, Google Recording. They're recording every move you make. And if you don't think they're following you on your smartphones, mine's on right now so they know where I'm at. This is, and I've heard people say, oh, why worry about it if you're not doing anything wrong? This this is a little side trip for the religious liberty people. Um, If you're not doing anything wrong, why worry about it? And my response is, duh. Do you think everybody in government is nice? You, you think everybody in government is wonderful? I mean, just look at history. The reason the United States set itself up for some privacy was because you couldn't trust everybody in government. Now, we have a wonderful, by and large, government and its great principles. I'm glad to be an American, aren't you? Most of us in this room probably are, and we're grateful for the principles. But things, because of all the stuff that's going on, we have changes in pe- the way people think. And today, believe it or not, there are laws in the books that if the government decides to declare you a, uh, an enemy of the state, they can pick you up, you'll disappear into a CIA gootlog, and they never have to let you surface again. That's on the books Right now, now I'm gotten off the subject a little bit, but what I'm trying to tell you is this: that despite everything that can be put, the church will not re- will not become disorganized. That's going to be amazing, isn't it? And the picture is that that the Lord Jesus Himself comes down and actually leads His church, and she says there's going to be nothing like it on the earth when Christ is leading His church. In a, in, a, in a way like he's never done before, and you've got the rekindling of persecution, that that combination will be a, a, an amazing wonder to the world. So you had, a, you had a comment here. Yeah, and, okay, let me get it here so I can get it. 
the statement that you're quoting there is also in volume 9 of the testimonies, page 258. And the significance of that statement is that it was delivered before the general conference session of 1909. Ellen White delivered that statement in that context. And why is that significant? Because there are those who mistakenly believe that in 1903, the general conference structure that was adopted, the centralized structure we have today, supposedly was contrary to the counsel of Ellen White. Some of you have probably heard that, that theory. And the idea being that at that particular point, Adventism supposedly went into organizational apostasy and God was no longer speaking through the church organization. In that statement, which is titled The Spirit of Independence, by the way, in Volume 9 of the Testimonies, page 257 to 261, she reiterates the fact that the general conference in session is the highest authority and that its, its actions are to be respected and that there is to be no breaking down of the lines of divinely established authority. So that clearly indicates the structure we have today bears the superscription of the Lord. Yes, and that's, uh, that brings me to uh, uh, another point that maybe is a good time to bring out right this very moment. Why is it why is it that we have the church government or an organization that we have? I'm, I'm going to answer the question this way. And, and I hope you won't forget this. Your, your theology gives rise to your mission. You with me? And your mission gives rise to your church organization. See, my, my, dear, uh, my dear friends that are where I grew up uh, and have many friends, uh, relatives even there, none of those churches have a vision of Revelation chapter 14. Every nation, tribe, kindred, tongue, and people. You talk to Seventh-day Adventists, and they will tell you they have, they understand that we are called to give a message to every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. By the way, the Sabbath morning both of those sermons this morning, if you heard the early sermon and you heard uh, the Sabbath sermon, uh, you ought to praise God we got preaching like that going on in the Adventist church. That was a very powerful preaching, and I praise God for it. But uh, so that's why we have, a, we have to have a worldwide organization if we're to carry out our mission of into all the world and every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. And that mission has, because of our theology, our understanding, that the gospel has to go to the entire world. Um, now, when you say, okay, if we have a worldwide mission, then what form of church government do we take? Well, you've only got about three choices for church government, period. The first choice that I'll talk about is the Roman Catholic model, and that's a monarchy system. The Adventists would never accept that. Why would we never accept it? Because of the... Because of the Bible. Am I right? And we talked about it earlier, what Jesus said to his own disciples who were trying to sit up a Pope system behind his back. And he had to help straighten them out there. So Adventists will never accept that. You, it can't be a congregational system because a congregational system will not give you a vehicle by which you could go into all the world. Am I right? You can't drive that truck into all the world. So the only one that you have left is a representative form of church government, and that's what we have. Now, I was at a certain meeting, a big important meeting some years ago that I will not identify because I'm not trying to identify individual. But this particular individual quite, um, well, let's just leave it, has a lot of influence, put it that way. Not the general conference, not 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 a general conference officer, not one of those folks. But anyway, he'd been given privilege to speak to a lot of people, and he started out making fun of the Adventist Church. And he started out, uh, and if I gave you the title of the sermon, you'd remember, and then you'd know who it was. So I'm trying not to do that. Um, but started basically making fun of the Adventist Church and started making fun of its layers of organization. I've heard this many, many places. People say, why do we have to have 
a, a local conference and a local union and a division and the general conference. Why do we have to have that? We're wasting lots of money, and none of us believe that we ought to be wasting money by the grace of God. Why do we have to do that? There may be some in this room that have had genuine thoughts about that. At some point, I've had thoughts about that early on until I got my eyes open a little bit. Let me just step back and talk about the United States government. Uh, Several years ago, some years ago, we had a crisis that for the first time, at least that we could remember, we could not, we didn't know who the next president of the United States was because it was all hung up. Remember that? I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to get into the politics because I'm not into politics. I don't care what side of the fence you vote on. Uh, I do love this great nation of ours. But I'm using the illustration. For, for some weeks, we did not know who the next president of the United States was. Remember that? So did the nation fall apart? Did we call out the National Guard? Did we call out the Army? No. Why? Because we in this nation understand representative form of church, uh, of, of government, and we have institutions of democracy. What are the institutions of democracy? Well, the institutions of democracy is that the local city is organized. They have their own leadership. Am I right? The local county is organized. Am I right? If you live in Michigan, if you don't believe they're, not, they're organized, then, then you won't see the roads getting cleared. We, we law organization because... When it snows, the salt trucks come out and the scrapers come out, and they do it with a lot of efficiency. So it's organized. So the local, the local town's not going to fall apart. The local county's not going to fall apart. What about the states? Are the states organized? Do they have their own government? So the, the, states, fall, the states didn't fall apart. Well, the federal government's having a little bit of trouble trying to figure out where it's going to go, but everything else just kept working because we had institutions of democracy. Now, I, I tell you, you try to put up that against other nations that I will not name right now who've tried to switch from dictatorship into some kind of democracy, and the least little thing will upset them because they do not have institutions of, of democracy. The same way in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have a worldwide church with churches all over the world speaking all kinds of different languages. We have all kinds of institutions, educational institutions, you name it. And, and this person was saying that we have too many layers of organization. And I said to myself, what? We have the same number of layers as the United States government. And it basically has one language. I know Spanish-speaking folk, that's important too. But we basically function in one language. You understand what I mean by that? And, uh, and we're, we're not geographically all over the world, per se. We don't control the rest of the world. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has, let me give you its organization, it has local, local church. Is your local church organized? Amen. You, then you have local conference. Is your local conference organized? Should be. Amen. And then you have a union of... Conferences, is that organized? Yes. That's the building blocks, by the way, of the general conference. When the general conference thinks, it doesn't think, this doesn't mean they're not concerned about the local church. They're very concerned about the local church and the local conference. That's not what it means. But when the general conference thinks, it thinks in blocks of conferences, unions. That's the building blocks of the general conference. And then the next layer of organization is, and somebody's going to get this one wrong maybe, the next layer is the general conference, not divisions. Divisions are part and parcel of the general conference. So we have four layers. By the way, the president of the North American Division is not appointed by a constituency of the North American Division. He's appointed by the same general conference nominating committee and session that appoints the president of the general conference. And they operate under... The, as an extended arm of the General Conference. So if you go to Asia or Africa, there's a division office there, but that's really the General Conference presence in those territories. So we have, we have four layers of, of church government just as 
The United States government has four layers, and that's why this church, one reason why this church works by and large pretty well. All right. So, anyway, um, yes, please. Yeah, that's. Uh, oh, good. He was telling me I got one or two minutes, maybe less than that. You know, I got going on this and I almost forgot the time. So, we're going to finish right up here. Let's see. Organization authority, representative form of church government. Okay, I just went over that really good. General Conference, the highest authority under the Bible. Oh, that'll be a great place to start tomorrow. And we're going to have some, we're going to get into a lot of things here. And I hope you'll come. If you have a church manual, bring along with you. If you can get it online, by the way, I don't think it, they charge you anything for it. I think, I think it might be free. It is free. And if you want to get it on your iPhone and bring it along, and you can follow and see if I'm getting the right things done. But this is a most important subject. And I believe it's going to become more important for us as we, clo- as we near the end of time. Because, folk, if there was ever a day and age when, as Seventh-day Adventists that we need to press together and press together under the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ and Scripture, that time has certainly arrived. And we can thank God that he set the stage for that kind of cooperation with the spiritual forefathers uh, and mothers that we've had uh, in the past. We praise God for them. And I thank the Lord for you and for you being here today. I think I'm going to close. I'm going to ask Elder Snayman, our, co- our uh, conference ministerial director, if he'll have our closing prayers. Could we all stand, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us today. And we are truly grateful for the fact that you've not only blessed us with an understanding of Scripture, but you've also given us a scriptural understanding of organization. And I pray that as we continue this uh, time together today, that you'll bless our time, the Sabbath, and that you'll bless the rest of GYC as we work together and study together. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.